Hi, this is Mercedes, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, September 3rd, and this is your Sunday sermon. We're continuing in our sermon series, Lessons from Nehemiah. Today is part four, and we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter four, verses one to 23, and we're going to talk about a really challenging topic. I've titled it, The Epidemic of Discouragement. Before we get into all of that, let's take a moment and have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Lord, we just love you and we worship you. Now, Lord, we want to hear from your word today. So, Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to deliver this message from you. Lord, I pray that we'll all learn because your word is true. And I thank you for all of that. In Jesus' name, then everyone said, Amen and Amen. All right, you're sitting in eight lanes of bumper-to-bumper traffic. You're more than ready to get home, but you notice, to your great dismay, that all the other lanes seem to be moving. You change lanes. But once you do, the cars in the new lane come to a dead halt. At a standstill, you notice every lane on the highway, including the one you just left, is moving, except yours. Welcome to the aggravating world of Murphy's Law. Are you familiar with Murphy's Law? The law itself was coined and named after Edward A. Murphy Jr., an American aerospace engineer who conducted an experiment to test human acceleration tolerances. Unfortunately for him, He installed 16 motion sensors the wrong way, leading to the now famous quotation, if anything can go wrong, it will. I guess the corollary to that is also true. If anything can't go wrong, it will anyway. Here are some other laws attributed to Mr. Murphy. Left to themselves, things tend to go from bad to worse. Everything takes longer than you think. Nothing is as easy as it looks. It is impossible to make anything foolproof because fools are so ingenious. And lastly, if everything seems to be going well, you've obviously overlooked something. Now, as we come to Nehemiah 4, everything seems to be going wrong all at once. In chapter 1, we looked at how Nehemiah prayed. In chapter 2, we saw how God moved him from the prosperity of Persia to the desolation of Jerusalem. Last week in chapter 3, we were introduced to the wall workers and discovered that in kingdom work, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And because some worked harder, and a fellow named Baruch worked with so much zeal, more than anyone else, the construction project was really zipping along. But when we come to chapter 4, things start to get more complicated for Nehemiah. Mr. Murphy shows up and reminds Nehemiah that when everything seems to be going well, you've obviously overlooked something. This story reminds me of one that I heard many, many years ago. It takes place in Darlington, Maryland. A mother named Edith has eight children. She comes home one Saturday afternoon from her neighbor's house, only to discover five of her youngest children huddled together in the living room, intensely concentrating on something. As she slipped in behind to see what they were doing, she couldn't believe her eyes. Smack dab in the middle of those kids were several baby skunks. She screamed at the top of her voice, Children, run! So each kid grabbed a skunk and ran to their bedroom. If anything can go wrong, it certainly will. Did you know that there is a plague sweeping the country today? An epidemic, if you will. 
It's not COVID-19 or its variants. It's not cancer or even the common cold. But this outbreak can be just as deadly as the most dreaded disease known to man. It's called the epidemic of discouragement. At least three things make it such a potent problem. First, it's universal. None of us are immune to discouragement. Everyone you've ever known has been discouraged at one time or another. Second, it's recurring. Being discouraged once does not give you an immunity to the disease. You can be discouraged over and over again. In fact, you can even be discouraged by the fact that you're discouraged a lot. And thirdly, it's highly contagious. Discouragement spreads by even casual contact. People can become disheartened because you're disheartened. You can be bummed out because other people are discouraged. Today, we're going to focus on both the causes and cures for the epidemic of discouragement. When talking about the causes of discouragement, there's two main types, external and internal. Let's take a look at them. First, let's look at external causes for discouragement. The wall workers were initially excited. They began the work with great anticipation and joy. Take a look at our text, Nehemiah chapter 4, starting with verse 6. It says that the people worked with all their heart. Things were going well. The people were excited and the wall was going up. Then something happened. Getting the work started on the wall was a major achievement, but keeping the workers working proved to be a much tougher assignment. Someone has once said that exhilaration is that feeling you get just after a great idea hits you and right before you realize what's wrong with it. Where God is at work, the enemy is also at work. Rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem was certainly no exception to this. When people take kingdom priorities seriously, Satan stirs up agitators to block the work of God. These enemies used two types of external forces. The first was ridicule. Look at verse 1 of our text. It says, When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. This is the third time in this book that we come across the name Sambalat, who was Nehemiah's stiffest opposition. Every time we read about him, he's standing against the work of God, rejecting and ridiculing everything that Nehemiah is trying to accomplish. Someone has once said that ridicule is the language of the devil. Those who can stand bravely when shot at will collapse when they're laughed at. The enemy often insults the servants of God. In 1 Samuel 17 verses 41 to 47, Goliath ridiculed David when the shepherd boy met the giant with only a sling in his hand. And in Luke chapter 22 and 23, the soldiers mocked Jesus during his trial, and the crowd taunted him while he was hanging on the cross. Samballot and his cronies had begun to ridicule the workers even before the work started. Remember back in chapter 2, look at verse 19. It says, they mocked and ridiculed us. So here in chapter 4, he's making a speech before the army of Samaria, intensifying the power of ridicule. Look at verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heap of rubble burned as they are? Notice that he calls the workers right off the bat feeble. The word means withered and miserable. Next, he ridiculed the job they were doing by asking four taunting questions. First, he asks, will they restore their wall? That must have made the Samaritan army break out into laughter. How could a remnant of feeble Jews hope to build a wall strong enough to protect the city from the mighty army? Second, he asks, 
will they offer sacrifices? Sambalat is saying that it will take more than prayer and worship to rebuild the city. Third, he asks, will they finish in a day? This suggests that the workers had no idea how difficult the task was and would soon stop what they're doing. And lastly, can they bring these stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? This indicates that their building materials were so old and damaged, but they couldn't possibly be used to make a strong wall. In verse 3, it was Tobiah the Ammonite's turn to ridicule the workers when he said sarcastically, what they are building, even if a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Archaeological excavations on these walls revealed that they were nine feet thick, and so they would need more than a small fox to knock them down. The workers became the punchline of every joke, and everyone got a laugh at their expense. Tobiah hoped that his sarcasm would make the builders cast an apprehensive glance at their hard work and activate within them an avalanche of discouragement. Friends, when you attempt to get involved in the work of God, you will always face ridicule. Expect it, but don't stop working. The second cause of their external discouragement was repression. At this point, the enemies move from being bothered by the Jews to being very angry. Look at verse 7 of the text. It says, But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. Then in verse 8 we read, They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Warren Wearsby writes, God's people sometimes have difficulty working together, but the people of the world have no problem uniting in opposition to the work of the Lord. Amen. It's also important to note that the references in verse 7 point to the four points on a compass. Think about this, north, south, east, and west. Sambalat and the Samaritans were to the north, Ashdod and the Philistines to the west, Tobiah and the Ammonites to the east, and Geshem and the Arabs to the south. So the workers were surrounded and lived in constant fear of being ambushed. So those are the external causes of discouragement. Let's look at internal causes of discouragement. Pressures from without often create problems within. Opposition outside the ranks can lead to depression on the inside. It wasn't the voice of the enemy that was the most pervasive. It was the voice of God's own people. And just like today, it's so easy to internalize the words of the enemy and feel like giving up. Notice the first part of verse 10 of our text. It says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, just that little segment. Discouragement first started within the royal tribe of Judah. They had David's blood in their veins, and you would think they would have had more faith and courage than the rest of the people. They were looked upon as leaders and pace setters. If the tribe of Judah was bummed out, then the other tribes would more than likely be inclined to give up the project as well. So let's talk about the causes of internal discouragement. The first cause was fatigue. Look at verse 10. It says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. Simply put, these workers were tired. They were hitting it hard and they needed some rest. The phrase giving out, it carries with it the idea of staggering, tottering, and stumbling. When you're physically drained, it's easy, very easy to become discouraged at the slightest problem. It's also interesting to notice when the workers became fatigued and discouraged. Verse 6 says the wall was built to half its height. Many times when we start a new project, the first half goes really quickly because we're excited about accomplishing the goal. 
But when the newness wears off and the work becomes routine and boring, it's easy to become fatigued. And when you're tired, it's easy to become discouraged and begin to think that you're never going to finish the job. The end of verse 10 says, we cannot rebuild the wall. They were ready to throw in the towel. These are the same people who were described in verse 6 as those who worked with all their heart. Friend, if you're feeling fatigued today, watch out. Tiredness can lead to discouragement. Remember what God did when Elijah was tired? He sent an angel to give him some bread and something to drink and then told him to go back to sleep. You cannot burn the candle at both ends on a long-term basis. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go to bed. The second thing that can happen is that you get frustrated. Verse 10 continues by saying that there was so much rubble that they couldn't rebuild the wall. They became discouraged because they were so aggravated with the situation. I'm sure they were encountering old broken rocks, dirt, and dried out mortar and other debris that was underfoot. This junk was everywhere and it was frustrating. They just lost sight of their goal. We too can lose sight of our goal when we have too much garbage in our lives. Hebrews 12.1 challenges us to get rid of anything that causes us to be frustrated in our pursuit of godliness. It says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I don't know what rubble is in your life today, my friends. Maybe it's television. Maybe a possession you're holding on to. Or maybe even an unhealthy relationship. Is there a sin you've been playing around with for too long? Do you have a drinking problem or are you involved in some other kind of entanglement that's tripping you up? Is there something you've been doing in secret that no one else knows about? As the writer of Hebrews says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Another internal cause of discouragement is fear. The enemies of the Lord's work had struck fear in the hearts of God's people and they felt like giving up. Remember what they said in verse 10? We cannot rebuild the wall. Did you notice in verse 12, who gets afraid the quickest? Take a look at that with me. Verse 12 says, Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So those people who were affected by fear were those who lived near pessimistic people. If you want to limit the depressing thoughts that bring fear into your life, then it's best not to hang around with the negative people. It's like the old saying, If you're going to soar with the eagles, you can't run around with the turkeys. Another saying is, you are who you associate with. Fear puts in us a frame of mind where we not only can become discouraged, we can also be deceived. I don't want to spoil the ending, but since most of you have already completed your assignment to read the book of Nehemiah, I'm just going to give it to you anyway. Are you ready? Okay, here it is. The enemies never attack Jerusalem. In the book Sacred to Life, Douglas Rumford cites a study that shows why we shouldn't let fear rule our lives. That study showed that 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. 20% are already behind us. 10% are so petty they don't really make any difference. 5% are real, but we can't do anything about them. 5% are real as well, and we can do something about them. Now, we know some of the causes of discouragement, both external and internal, ridicule and repression that can lead to fatigue, frustration, and fear. But all is not lost, beloved. Let me tell you definitely, without a doubt, that discouragement is a curable disease. This is good news. You don't have to live with that chronic condition anymore. Let's take a look at this briefly. Three cures for discouragement. Are you ready for this? 
Here's the first cure. Ask for God's help. In the jungles of Africa, a man was being pursued by a hungry, roaring lion. Feeling the beast's hot breath on his neck and knowing his time was short, he broke out into a prayer as he was running like crazy. Oh, Lord, please make this lion a Christian. Please make him a Christian. Within seconds, the frightened man noticed that the lion had stopped chasing him. When he looked behind him, he found the lion kneeling and moving his lips in obvious prayer. Greatly relieved at this turn of events, he got close enough to the lion to hear him pray, and bless, O Lord, this food which I am about to receive. In chapter 1, Nehemiah requested God's help for Jerusalem. In chapter 2, he prayed a really quick prayer while in the presence of the king. Now, in chapter 4, he prays two different times. He looked up before launching out. He prayed before proceeding. Take a look at his first prayer in verses 4 and 5. It says, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. This was quite a prayer. Nehemiah wasn't praying for his enemies to become believers, but instead for God to judge them. This prayer was not nice at all, but it was understandable and honest. He knew that the enemies were really fighting against God, and so he asked God to deal with them. He didn't give lectures to the workers. He didn't organize raiding parties against the enemies or create propaganda campaigns to put on a different spin. Here's the principle we can learn from Nehemiah through all of this. When people talk against you, don't talk back. Talk to God. Verse 9 tells us that they prayed to God and posted a guard. When their enemies started talking, Nehemiah continued to pray, and the people continued to work. The second cure for discouragement is to reorganize your priorities. In verse 13, Nehemiah said, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest point of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. Nehemiah had already organized the people in chapter 3, and they had finished half of their task, but now a new situation had come up that required a change in organization. So Nehemiah put guards at all the vulnerable spots. This served two purposes. It discouraged the enemy and it encouraged the people because it dealt with their fear. When we're discouraged, one of the things we can do is to reorganize our priorities. You can look at your life. You can adopt a change in approach instead of becoming so discouraged that you quit. Do you have a problem in your marriage? If so, don't bail on your spouse. Change your approach. Adopt a new attitude. Get some help. Do you have a problem in your job? Don't give up. Change your priorities. Do you have a problem in your walk with God? Don't stop following Jesus. Reorganize your schedule so you can meet with him on a regular basis. Plug into a small group if you have them. Don't be overcome by discouragement. Do something about it. Now take a look at verse 16. As you're reading it, I'm going to say a few words over this. In verse 16, the workers reorganized again by dividing responsibilities. Half worked and the other half kept watch. Those who worked used one hand for pushing the wheelbarrow and with the other hand they carried a weapon and they worked together as a team. If you want to defeat discouragement, my friends, here's a third thing you can do, and that is to remember who God is. After looking everything over and sensing the discouragement within his team, Nehemiah rallied his troops in verse 14. Take a look at that. This is where he said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. 
Nehemiah knew, even in the face of opposition, that the success of the wall was wholly dependent upon God, who inspired its beginning. Verse 10 was true. The people could not rebuild the wall on their own. They needed to remember God and what he had promised. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to forget God when things are tough. I need to be reminded that he's always there for me. How do you remember the Lord? By remembering that he will always be there for you. We're to remember that he is great and awesome. God is more than able to deal with your discouragement. So when you're down, turn your attention from discouragement to the one who is able to do something about it. God has been faithful to you in the past. He is faithful to you today. And he has promised to be faithful to you in the future. Remember the Lord. Remember his promises. Remember his goodness. Remember his power. Our God is great and awesome. Remember him. The people complained all about the rubble in verse 10. Question, wasn't the rubble there in the beginning? Well, of course it was. The difference was that when they started the project, they were focused on God and his character. Now they had become what I would call rubble gazers. Friend, if you focus on all the junk in your life and in the lives of others, you're going to get really discouraged. So let's determine to be God gazers instead of rubble gazers, okay? At the time it was completed in 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge was the longest suspension bridge in the world. During the first phase of the project, 23 men fell to their deaths in the icy waters below. Murphy's laws were in evidence. Things were going from bad to worse because there were only a few safety devices. And so, when it was halfway completed, they decided to take another look and make some changes. Do you know what they did? They reorganized and built the largest net ever made and attached it under the area where the men were working. Was it worth the cost and the time it took to do this? Ask the 10 men who fell into it without being injured. Not only did it save 10 lives, I'm told that the work was completed in three-fourths the time because the workers no longer feared falling. Friends, God's great net of security spans this globe. No matter where we live, no matter what we've done, no matter how discouraged we've been, he stretched out his everlasting arms beneath us. As a result, you can live and work freely without fear, knowing that you're protected, safe, and secure. Discouragement can be defeated as we request God's help, reorganize our priorities, and remember who he is. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.